Thanks for listening to this episode of Fluff and Crunch. In today's game spotlight, we look at infinity. We've talked about talking about infinity for a long time, so we're going to give infinity the same treatment that we gave Mutant Chronicles recently. And like the Mutant Chronicles episode, this is focused on that which you would get out of the core book and not all the additional material that's in so many of those other uh, setting and adventure and other books. Just the core book. Thanks for listening to Fluff and Crunch, where we talk about the connection and sometimes disconnect between system, setting, and story in tabletop RPGs. Should we introduce ourselves, or should we just do that as a separate episode? I don't think that. Yeah, we'll keep putting it off. <laughs> we'll keep putting it off. Okay, so you know what we can do? We can imply that we'll introduce ourselves and maybe in so doing drop little little hints about uh, who we are and what our deal is. Something like that. Yeah. Anyway, hello, Chris. How are you this morning? Hi, Jeremy. Uh, I'm fine. Wait, let me guess. Yeah. Let me use my, let me spend some momentum and, and get, obtain information that you have not done any gaming in the last several days. Uh, no, not since Monday. Nor have I. How, how have you got momentum at the start of the session? Um, uh, uh-huh. that's, a, that's a fine question. That's a really fine question. I have a talent. I have rules, Lloyd. Actually, you know what? There's a talent in, um, but the, but the, but the, I think it's in Octon. I think it's in Star Trek too, but there's one where you have the, uh, like when a scene begins, you can ask a question. And it's as if you had obtained, so that, I have that talent. I feel like if, if you really are desperate for mental at the start of thing, you just think of some really r- ridiculous difficulty zero thing you want to do and then insist on rolling for it. Okay. <laughs> just to guarantee you started with Be obnoxious and, and insist on, on rolling. Okay. My All players right. never care. They're always quite happy to just go, uh, uh, yeah, screw it. I'm, I'm just borrowing heat or threat or. Yeah. Whatever. I still need to get my players to be cool with buying threat. It's interesting. Uh, I, last month, I, um, I ran. Like a demo session of Octon Cthulhu and a demo session of Star Trek Adventures at the new game store that's about a mile and some from my house. And I um, I had a, a buddy of mine playing. And then the other people who played were new to the system entirely. And both sessions, I had two adults and two teenagers. And the teenagers, no problem with buying threat. No problem with just like, you know, risk it all or, or some of it. It's, I don't know. We get overly cautious when we get grown up, I think. I don't know, I think my, I think Scott and Brian are just like right from day one of kind of being, if it, it's worth it because you kind of get that momentum train going. Like, you know, yeah. you, you you get, you spend the stuff early on because that builds momentum. You can either use that to do crazy stuff in combat or, you know, or you can keep it for future roles, but it's always worth doing it mostly because, yes, it might make things like harder later on. But it's going to make everything easier for the rest of it. So they just like right. passing all their roles. But right, yeah, I think that that's a realization that that players make, and then they, whether they accept that they want to do that or not. But recognizing, like, wait a minute, the more often I roll the dice, the more likely I am to generate momentum, which then unlocks all kinds of fun stuff. Nice. And speaking right. about fun stuff, we're here to talk about Infinity today. Yeah, we are doing our second system spotlight. That's right. That's right. We talked about Mutant Chronicles. I've gotten a pretty good response to that. And now Infinity. And, you know, I um, follow the Infinity um, category 
or any of those channels on the official Discord. And I don't I have I don't follow any kind of like infinity specific groups or anything like that elsewhere online. So I really have no idea like how how popular of a line is this? How I know we know that you know you just received like a, a dump truck had to back up to your house and, and unload pallets or something of infinity books that you kickstarted years ago. So we know that the line is still supported, albeit because there was this Kickstarter years ago that was very successful. But do you have any sense of like the the state of this because it seems like Star Trek Adventures and uh, uh, Octo and Cthulhu and Dune like those seem to be the modifius games that really generate the biggest amount of interest. Yeah, I think I think my feeling is kind of they've now completed the line and they're just going to say we can't be bothered. And I think the part of the reason I say that is if I compare it to Conan, so Infinity and Conan were kickstarted. I mean, maybe within six months of each other, but certainly super close together. Um, and Conan have have like having finished the main Conan run of books that they announced have now started releasing extra stuff. So like in the last year, we've seen um two campaigns. Uh, I was like wait crimson, wasting crimson, That's and it. then there's and another there's one, and they just came the out with an Age of Conan source book, yeah. which is about a different vibe of like i think yeah. from the comic books I think, or something i think like that, that was announced as part of the kickstart but then my feeling on conan is oh. that they've kind of done more of a push on some of these other things the kind of things they've got well we weren't really sure we we're going to do this but if you've got this kind of part of the kickstart you can have it and uh you know and they've you know they've released that whereas a lot of the infinity stuff to me kind of feels like they've just gone yeah it's out here it is um i, I kind of i've certainly from a diff is i've seen kind of more of a push on the Conan stuff. Here's a new Conan book with the Infinity stuff to me kind of has felt like, yeah, the Infinity stuff's done, here you go. So I'd, I'd be surprised if we saw any more. Um, I think the difference out of it is that, I mean, I don't think Conan's like the biggest thing outside of the role-playing game. You know, we're not, there's no, there's no TV series or film at the moment. There's, you know, there was board, it's kind of around the same time this role-playing game came out. There was like, it meant to be a miniatures game, which didn't happen, but there is a, it was like a, a sort of a board game type thing. Whereas Infinity, the miniatures game, at least is still going. Now, maybe there aren't lots of people playing the miniatures game and the role-playing game, but at least like Infinity as a thing is still going and the company behind it is still, you know, churning out, you know, rules books. So, I mean, I think at the time this came out, they roughly also released third edition in the miniatures game. And since then, I think we've had a fourth edition for the miniatures game. That's how long it took them to get all these books out. Uh, and like a simpler, so the miniatures game at least is still going. Um, and they have been moving on their, uh, sort of their, you know, their meta, their canon, however you want to talk about, you know, their actual story, you know, one of the problems with the role-playing game is that in between the agreement and the initial book, something really major happened with one of the factions, which then when we got the faction book, like a good chunk of it, I kind of feel, I mean, certainly some of the stuff in the book is just wrong. And some of the stuff, therefore, in the faction book is probably not in fully right. And I can't remember if they added new stuff into it because it was one of the earlier faction books. So, um, well, let's just let's let's do this. Let's focus on what it is, big picture, and what's in. Much like we do with Mutant Chronicles, what is yeah. in the core book? So, if you get yeah. this five hundred and twenty-nine page PDF or a brick of a book, what's in it? What are you getting? Forget about like inconsistencies with overlapping products or things like that. Yeah. How would you define Infinity as a setting? Like, what's so, your back um, of the book elevator pitch for what um, Infinity is? 
is, is finity a science fiction straight up um arguably you could call it transhuman science fiction and it's it's that kind of a sort of you know it's it's not in the next hundred years but it's also not miles and miles in the future and it's a relatively small setting sort of geographically wise and by that i mean there aren't like lots and lots of planets i mean they can fit uh in on the inside sort of covers of the book it shows you all of the known planets essentially in the sort of the infinity universe which is essentially the idea there's like earth we still have earth i've not imagined yeah, soul right because i was like there's no earth on the map um and then there's a handful of other planets that people have found travel to and that you travel in between and and so that's it so we're only talking about what one two three four five six seven eight nine ten eleven so there's only 11 planets uh none of these planets are in our so other than soul obviously none of these planets are in our solar system so whereas music chronicles kind of has everything's within the solar system um this goes beyond that but we're still not talking lots of planets so like these are planets that people have gone out and found and explored and are now settled on them right there's kind of interstellar travel but the interstellar travel mostly is there are there are ships that can jump from one to another um but mostly people do interstellar travel by getting on these big uh things called orbitals which is like think of it as a big train it's like a caravan train you get on you fly your little ship onto this giant big ship and this giant big ship has the ability to travel through you know through interstellar space to get to the next planet and literally on the map you have these you know it looks like a, an underground or a metro system for how the paths yeah. of these orbitals that's literally what this is showing where they go um, yeah it, it it although the the interstellar travel is through wormholes yeah i think i think that's I think yep. it's you've got to have a ship that is capable of going yep. through the wormholes, but the wormholes yep. have to already exist essentially. Yeah. So the worm. So so somewhat like um, this actually reminded me a little bit of Coriolis, where you have these different worlds that are accessible through these gates, or in this case, wormholes. But there really isn't a sense, and it really doesn't matter story wise. Like how far is Neo Terra yeah. away from Soul? Away from uh, Paradiso or Paradiso, what, like how far it, that, that really doesn't, that's not an issue. Um, because you, you travel through a, a wormhole in a ship, like you said, that's capable of, of doing that. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree. Transhuman science fiction, um, a, a more limited universe. This isn't traveler with a bajillion yeah. worlds in this sense of like, Oh my gosh, there's so much, but you're only going to play on one or two of them. This isn't Star Trek with, massive numbers of worlds and super fast transit anywhere you want to go i would add to your your definition though your description there is a to me at least there's a very heavy cyberpunk i was just going to say the same vibe thing. yeah there's a very heavy cyberpunk yeah. vibe to it like you know corporations fighting corporations and uh like violent corporate intrigue cyberpunk and transhuman there's they're they're fellow travelers in a way and there's a very strong overlap between them where you know people from birth pre-birth are are wired into computer networks that are you know way beyond anything that we could we could do now obviously yeah that's the that i think yeah transhuman cyberpunk science fiction small universe and i, I kind of like the um the smaller universe because you end up having you you have fewer planets but i think that you you can get yes. to know them and they be, they can become more meaningful as story <clears throat> elements or, or locations other than like i said like traveler where it, it just like every world you know there's there's so many of them and if you actually travel so much between those worlds i think they they tend to be a bit generic and these are most definitely not yeah so 
I mean, that's kind of, I mean, technology wise, we have, you know, we have fancy guns. Like I said, we have technology to terraform planets, to jump between planets. There's a lot of, like you said, cyber, there's loads of cyber, cyberware. Um, we have, you know, characters can basically, you have characters that are like cat people and dog people, essentially, for different reasons, which is. Because, yeah, because the technology has has allowed them to either permanently or temporarily yeah. morph themselves. You've also got this weird, I, this this stuff called Silk yeah, with a capital right, right. S, which enables people to like download themselves into a, you know, their, their neural pathways into a, a, like a, basically like a flash drive, a cube, and thus be, you know, there's technically there is some form of immortality, but I like, you know, I'll, 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 I'll do a little side note right here on this. I really like the fact that this game, unlike some other science fiction games that avoid, uh, avoid some of the implications of their medical technology and life extension technology and computer integration and things like that uh infinity actually grapples with those things like yeah there is there is immortality but you have you know getting into like a cloned body is is extraordinarily expensive yeah. and so it's something that only the rich can do or you can like petition and then it's this bureaucratic nightmare of like trying to get a permit to do something or whatever so i i like that they tease out some of the plausible implications of the results of of such technological advances i yeah, I, think, I think i find that interesting I think on that thing it's a lot close to sort of altered carbon where the rich can have bodies and keep having them and the poor can't and you have to really if you want to keep doing it you need a job that's going to let you do it or work for someone's yeah. going to let you do it as opposed to say eclipse phase where it kind of felt like you could have multiple bodies just sitting around and everyone could use them because we were in the sort yeah, where does this come from post scarcity economy which i could never understand because it seemed to be just after a massive like everything had been destroyed kind of event um so that's kind of where we are technology and geography wise i mean the other really important thing to talk about the setting is kind of how it's set up and again, because it comes from a miniatures game, it's set up with like a faction idea. So you have, and again, these these factions are, they're not quite as cut and dried as Mutant Chronicles are. No. But essentially there is, you know, we have these. I think stru I think structurally, like at the 30,000 foot view, there there's a lot of similarity. Yeah. But once you detail down into them, they're they're quite different. Yeah, I mean, I think the only clear ones, Yu Jing is like, oh, that's the Asian faction. Um, because that was sort of a mixture of China and Japan. And it's like... Fair enough. And then there's, um, I'm going to say it wrong because I've moved the page off the book. Is it New Hack Islam? Which is like this. Array, Hack Islam. Yeah, which is like the, the, this, there's meant to be this like in you know, a sort of essentially Muslim, new Muslim, Arabian faction. But one of their key things is like, and each of these factions has not really good at. So like they're really good at, they have more of the silk stuff. They're really good at the, the sort of the bioengineering, the medical stuff. Yu Jing have really, have like really good mechs. Um, but then we have things like Pan, Pan Oceana, so or Pano, and they're kind of like the main faction, but they don't, everyone thinks, oh, they're the American faction. They're not. If you read the background on them, they're actually Oop. kind of this mixture of sort of like, like Australia and some of the Pacific places. Australia, India, and the Philippines. Yeah. So it's yeah. like, oh, well, where's the American faction? Well, to look for the American faction, actually, you have to look at Ariadna, which is a bunch of people that went off to one particular planet, crashed. No one heard from that ship for... I can't remember, it's like 200, 200 years. years. And then and then they've come back. And even then it's a mixture of there's like a French contingent, a Scottish contingent, and the American contingent. And they're part of the same yeah, it's, faction. And it's like, what? One, well, one of the things though that I, I like about this, and I I I find it, and maybe this is just because 
I most of my academic preparation is in history. And so I think like developmentally in that respect, like how does one group develop over time and certain ideas and blah, blah, blah. This is where I've, I found, I find Mutant Chronicles a tad bit opaque. Reading this, I can, I look at this and I'm like, okay, this is all Gonzo and Wazoo and, you know, people being downloaded into cubes and junk like that and, and all this. And, but there's a lot of it that I actually find plausible when they establish, okay, this thing happened in X many years in the future in Earth, on Earth, and then these were the results of that thing happening. This is how this group of people dealt with it under these circumstances. When they set up those kinds of um, if-then sort of uh, relationships, or, or I find them plausible. And so it was easy for me to get my head around, or at least feel like I had my head around, okay, this is what this system, this is what this, this setting is, this is what these people... Uh, what these what these folks would be like you know something else i find really interesting and is i i mean aside from well i don't think coriolis did a very good job of this but that's beside the point we're not talking about that <laughs> what i never understood that setting that's just confused I, the hell I, out of me i'll use one word to describe that setting and i'll i'll say tokenistic and then i'll just put it aside um but uh the infinity i'm impressed by the fact that they include religions. Mm. Like they grapple with the idea that, you know, Earth, the developed nations on Earth move away from fossil fuels. Well, what's what what potentially is the result of that? Well, society, the economies in the Middle East implode. Yeah. And when you have massive economic depression over a long period of time, you have social and political upheaval and change. And so Islam changes and persists, albeit in a in a, a different form. And you're like, okay, that makes sense. And most science fiction games, they avoid religion, especially science fiction games, you know, they're rooted out of earth. They just pretend like Christianity and Islam just poof, just like suddenly disappear. <laughs> and I, I, I'm sorry, folks, that, that's not happening. Uh, so Christianity evolves, Islam ev evolves, and they go out into to space to these different planets. So I, I think that's a, it's a rational, uh notional future build yeah i think that makes really any sense job. um yeah i think they, they did a nice job with that i will mention a few of the other bits um there's a faction called nomads who are literally what they sound like they basically they they don't have a planet they just fly around on these big sort of mothership things they're my favorite faction there's a, a group called well i mean they're normally put in here as a faction called aleph but basically aleph is the sort of the the one ai that's allowed to exist because they've kind of gone, right, we're going to have this one AI. This is a good AI. It's super nice AI, although it kind of feels like it's a super good, nice, big brother kind of AI. Totally. So no other AIs are allowed. Um, and that's kind of like the that's that's where the setting goes up to a certain point. And then what happened, all these factions just kind of fought each other, funnily enough, over land. Like they find the same planets and have wars on them. Uh, Makes sense. And then at a certain point, a, a bunch of aliens, just referred to as the combined, um, um, which is basically it's alien force, turned up and started causing problems on on this planet called paradiso uh and then another alien force who doesn't like them turned up and to try and help us so you've got these sort of good guy aliens the toha and these bad guy aliens the combined which gives you other things to go on as well so it's not just the faction it's kind of like my mutant chronicles and that you've got this sort of the human factions fighting each other and then you've got this this bad guy stuff that's there as well um which gives you quite a lot to to sort of play with um, I think, uh, well, I'm just getting into it, but that, I think that's kind of the setting in a, 
in a reasonable detail without going into, you know, there's a whole bunch of other stuff. There's the, the book, the core book does a good job of explaining most of the setting and the history. And then there's all the sort of various faction books and other books on top of that. Yeah. I found reading the, I mean, the background, the overall setting background is like almost 20 pages at the front end of the book. And I found that a lot easier to get my head around and understand than I did in Mutant Chronicles. So yeah, you've, you've certainly got enough. I believe that, you know, if you just had the core book, you would have enough because it's a, because they're, you know, cyberpunk is, is well-defined and well-known. Uh, I'd say transhuman science fiction is reasonably well-defined and maybe not as it's, it's known, but it's not as like widely known and by people as cyberpunk, but it's out there. Like you could go read a book or two about it and be, you know, be cool with it. And I think you'd be able to make sense of this. And I like, I like the fact that, yeah, you could do the, the intrafactional or interfactional, um, you know, conflict. You could, you could fight the aliens. You could explore you. you there are lots of built-in, obvious options for like well, what, what would characters do and what kind of story would i would i run now what about the system so again the system is is quite far removed from acting cthulhu but it's not very far removed from mutant chronicles that we talked about last time we did a system spotlight or conan, or conan. It's, i mean it's super similar to conan um the biggest change between this and conan is the the bizarre fact that it this has the same dice as Mutant Chronicles, um, whereas they then change to the, the the dice with with more effects on and sort of less things. So that's one of the big things. But a lot of the other stuff is ve is very very similar. Um, we do we do we still still have skills are linked to attributes, but we have one attribute less than than uh, Mutant Chronicles. So we're down to seven attributes. So we're kind of and these are what I kind of I mean they're not really the core seven, but these are what I consider to be the core seven because when they so we've got agility, awareness, brawn, coordination, intelligence, personality, willpower. I consider when you move on from this, you're dropping something that you probably shouldn't be. Um, so when we go to say acting Cthulhu and he has six to me, I feel like, ooh, I, I kind of feel like you're missing something there. But you know, obviously D and D loads of the games only have six, but I, I think this is a good thing. Partly to me, I like the fact that agility and coordination are different. So you don't have like a, you don't have the agility god stat here. Agility lets you do stealth right. and close combat and acrobatics, but then your shooting and piloting is under coordination. So you can be good at one without being good at the other, which which I like. Um, yeah. But again, a lot of it is very similar. So if, I mean, I, I kind of, I want to gloss over some stuff because I feel like if you've just listened to Mutant Chronicles, a lot of it's the same. Yeah, and I think if you know, if you listen to that or if you're already familiar with Conan, longer skill list, you have uh, rated focuses sitting under skill expertise. So each skill has an expertise rating and a focus rating. Um, that is almost exactly like um like conan yeah. so yeah i i agree we can and then the character creation forward. is like super sinister mutant coral so again you you start off with like what planet what what faction are you from what planet are you from what you know are you from a, which kind of social class you from what was your education like and at some point as you start going through, you get start rolling on things you find out like oh my parents were put in prison and you know things like as you get these cool background stories you then again go to careers where you have this thing of sort of depending on what education you have determines what careers you can choose to go into. But if you want to go into these iconic careers, you have to roll to get into these like cool careers, which is sort of based on the sort of based on the, like, you know, the knights from the, from the Pano or the, like the ninja and samurai type people from, from Yu Jing. So if you want these like cool looking things then you have to roll to get into them. And again, you can do multiple careers, but then the risk is you end up being too old. So you take penalties. 
So uh, the character creation is like super similar to Mutant Chronicles, and again, it's, it's similar yeah. to how to how to how Conan does it. So and, and it's kind of its own mini game. And the one we remember is that when Scott and Brian, because Infinity is the one we probably played the most. When I think it was when Brian created his character, his traveler style, his character died in character creation, which means the body his character has is not his original body. Right. Which is really cool. I mean, you know, he didn't have to worry about it, but that's a thing that's in, that was in the character creation. And one of the other ones is, I think, so if that's Brian, then like Scott's, uh, like he's like a famous, what he calls Aristair, which is this kind of combat sport. So his character is like famous because he fought in this, like on TV and stuff, um, which is like cool things that just happen rolling through these, these career charts. Um, and, you know, I really like that. So yes, you can kind of think about what you want your character to do, but you have these cool things that happen as you're generating your character. It's like, yeah, which is, which is really good. Um, well, I, I like it. it, it it's, you know, the life path system in uh, Star Trek Adventures is more streamlined and it's not as crunchy. I mean, there are nine steps in this um, and it's, it's far more granular yeah. in that, you know, yeah, you, you're talking about these different phases in your life and then the number of careers determines your, your outgoing age. Uh, talents like Conan and like Star Trek Adventure, not Star Trek, Conan and Mutant Chronicles, Conan and Mutant Chronicles, talents are nested in trees under skills. Yeah. Um, and there are far more skills or it, it's like, again, Hey, mutant Chronicles or, or Conan. I just won't say that anymore. Um, I, I do think though, for this kind of science fiction where you might outfit your character with all kinds of cyberware and funky weapons and connections between those two. And you have all this like, you know, computer connectivity in your head and your forearm and whatnot. I do think crunchier, more detailed and granular, rules, skills, options, it, that just seems to fit better than something that's more, call it cinematic, like Star Trek. Yeah. No, I totally agree. Um, and again, where we start then having different Mutant Chronicles, again, like we already said, we have the similar, similar damage in the combat dice or challenge dice to Mutant Chronicles yep. um, in that you have one, two, and you have one effect and that's it. So half your dice do nothing. But you have a you have a set like one plus or two plus or three plus. Yeah. Um yeah damage is fixed and then you also have you not only have the 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 bonus you have a fixed number, you have a, a certain number of die sixes, and then also you have if if you have a high enough stat, you have bonus damage that's add to that yeah. added to that. Um we do have hit locations here, but here hit locations just like with with Conan and also Fallout, the hit locations are just for yeah. armor. What we do have is three different lots of damage. So we have we have our sort of physical damage, which is called Vigor, and then gives us wounds, uh, which again, you can only have five of, so we still stick to this kind of the rule of, oh, so we have these two rules. The one that when you take five of the sort of the little things, it gives you one of the bigger things. Um, so we have like, you know, five stress gives you a, a trauma, which in this case is called wounds. We have mental stuff, which are resolved in something called metanoia. Um, and then we have a set one, we have firewall and breaches. So the idea is the net stuff is so closely inbuilt to the characters. Everyone has like an onboard, like how much damage your, your onboard system can take before you yeah. then start having what's called breaches where basically someone's hacked your system. Um, and the hacking it will get to in a minute, but that's uh, cause that's a subsystem thing. So that's, that's quite a big difference. And then linked to that is this, it's kind of a role playing idea, not so much as a, a, a system idea. Um, and to be honest, I forgot until I looked at the characters now, it's even the thing. Characters all have something called a geist, which is basically like you have an onboard sort of pseudo personal assistant. It'd be like if you had an Alexa in your head, 
all the time <laughs> talking to you, but it's like a personal one just really for you. Disturbing. Um, but one of the cool things it suggests in the books, and I was saying I only have two players, so this wasn't as involved. If you had four players or something, it'd be really cool. Is the idea is is that your your onboard assistant should be played by the player to your left, so you can have conversations with your like onboard AI. Um, where we found that handy is if the players didn't have skills for certain things. So like neither of my players are very good at hacking, but one of their guys was. So they got their guys to do hacking for them. If they needed to make a lot knowledge check and it wasn't in an area they were good, maybe the Geist has. Um, so that was, that was quite cool that you could have like, just, they could, you know, my party could split up and yet they'd still both of them be at the location because one of them is talking to the Geist, which is being played by the other player. Um, so that was nice. I imagine with a big party, that would get super confusing. There's probably a sweet spot. Too few players, that would be difficult. Too many would be unmanageable. But it, it was always handy that it meant that like if you could split the party without worrying about someone not getting to do anything because there was there were all person was had their onboard like virtual assistant with them. right instead of instead of supporting characters in Star Trek you've got uh, Alexa in someone's head yeah so that was Lovely. that was a really cool thing about the, the rules oh, one thing I I want to point out though with all this deep persistent lifelong integration of technology into one's body but information technology that inextricably links the individual to social media like all these these information feeds and whatnot there is a faction that is against this stuff yeah i mean so I mean, we don't have you know we don't have to go into detail about it but the i don't think there's I was going to say, I'm not sure there's a faction that's totally... The, the, the one faction that's the most yeah. divergent from the others is the nomads who really are... Like, they, they want to have... Like, they don't believe in the Aleph. They, should be, they, they want multiple AIs and they go even further down the transhuman. They do all kinds of weird stuff. So they kind of don't stick to society's norms. But, but isn't, there, isn't there one of the... And, and this is... I did not see this in my reread recently, but I seem to remember from when I got this a ways back. Isn't there one... Like, children are not natural born anymore, are they? uh i honestly they're like born in like goo bags yeah i can't remember without checking it I, don't think, I think they're they're born in like goo bags or something like that and like that's normal but they're i i i don't I remember the details of it but i'm pretty certain that there's some groups or some groups somewhere that are like no, no 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 that's wrong you shouldn't have this stuff or to what extent again there there's consideration for like there would be some people and groups of people who would really embrace this. And there were some people who would repel from it for all kinds of reasons. I'm and they, they make room for that. Thinking about, I think it's the Ariadne a lot because I feel like they went off on their space travel things and populated this other planet before the whole cubes thing was, right. was a, was like a big thing. Whereas the rest of what they call the human sphere have all kind of embraced the, the sort of the, the cube and the being able to download and, you know, sort of live forever. Whereas, so they, you kind of, they're, I think they're either, they're like basically implanted at birth or very young kind of thing. Whereas I think Ariadna, that's not the case. So, but I can imagine there being other groups of people that have a similar view to that. Um, but yeah, I'm just kind of, which is another yeah. cool thing to be able to talk about. But I mean, yeah, key rules differences wise, pretty much everything that we said for Mutant Chronicles is kind of like goes for here, except this is a little bit inside of Mutant Chronicles. Cause we said one less stat. You don't have separate health health locations, like separate health at each hit location, which was just super crunchy. Yeah, really fiddly. Um, so then on, now, our, on our little thing, conflict. our next thing is... Oh, go on, do conflict, and then we'll do something. Yeah, let's talk about conflict. Uh, there are four different kinds of conflict, and I think it, like if you play Dune, this, this may sound... This will sound familiar. 
but this is obviously far less narrative and far more crunchy. There's warfare, info war, psi war, and then vehicles, vehicle warfare. So the, the, you have the general rules of action. And, the, and actually, this is kind of a range like Conan, or not Conan, like Dune, where they mm-hmm. give you the, the, the basic conflict rules, and then they detail out the different types of um, the different types. So yeah, warfare is just, that, that's just typical fighting. Yeah. Um, info war. How would you describe info war? So info war is basically the hacking rules. And this yeah. is the one that people have the most trouble with. And we'll um, do a separate episode just yeah. on that. It, it took me a lot of time to sort of read and then reread. Partly the problem is here is that the examples in the book aren't very good. Right. So if you read that chapter, it doesn't make a huge amount of sense. When it makes sense, if you go and read like an adventure where they have um, sort of the network put in and what things are linked, then it starts making more sense because then you can work how you do it. But the examples in the book are not super clear. But yeah, the hacking rules are quite detailed because essentially you, you could easily have a character who is a hacker and has like a, I mean, if we're talking in terms of like, you know, like a cyber deck type thing, if you're thinking of sort of Shadowrun or sort of Cyberpunk 2020, I think like a device that actually helps you hack. Um, and on that, you will have software installed and the software lets you do like, you know, hacks that are going to just cause damage or hacks that are going to try and infiltrate and stuff. Um, so hacking ends up being kind of, the kind of it could in theory be the same kind of problem you have in in say Shadowrun or, or Cyberpunk 2020 or well the newer ones where one character is like off doing their hacking thing and the other players are doing it but realistically what should be happening is it should be happening at the same time so like you're not off doing a net run while your players are doing you know a, a just sitting and waiting what should be happening yeah. is while you're infiltrating a base some of the characters are infiltrating the thing in person and another character right. is sort of sitting in a room hidden doing the hacking things because it does let you do really cool things like ping everybody else's they, they like the enemy's guns and, and so you get bonuses to hit them or it turns off the guns to the enemies i mean we've had combats literally where i had like an npc hacker who just went like sort of click well it won't click it takes ages but <laughs> turned yeah. off all the guns of the people they were breaking into so scott and brian like cool and like these guys like oh crap none of our guns work yeah one they of just the take things i know out. One of the uh, the tenets of the setting that they establish early on is that individuals interact with physical and digital and virtual spaces simultaneously. Yeah. And so if you're in a room, you could be moving a chair to sit down in it and simultaneously like adjusting the light level or, adjust, you know, they're, they're, so so you're meant to connect with things in the in those spheres, you want to call it that. Um simultaneously yeah um i mean it doesn't go too much into kind of like a virtual like you you haven't you're not fighting like virtual monsters in a virtual space like i think some mm. other games do into it it's, it's, it's not tron of, yeah it, it, it is more of a kind of like you have a, an idea like there's there's what you'll have is imaginary dungeons so you'll be there's a there's a building you're going into and then there's a network that sort of might link over the top of that but so like right i want to get into this part of the network so i have to go through this this firewall and then i have to go through this firewall and i have to search to try and find like hidden doors in that it seems it seems like it's more of like an augmented reality yes yeah kind it of is approach much more like that. Yeah. rather than like cyberpunk 2020 where the net runner goes into the net and their consciousness kind of slips out of the physical world and goes into the net itself. Cyberpunk Red transitioned away from that to more of like an augmented reality net experience for what it is. It sounds like this is this is similar. Yeah, I mean, to that. Like what that. about? 
you can have your hacker being alongside the rest of the group in real yeah. time and they're just doing things and turning things off. It, it is fiddly. Like I said, a lot of it, once you get the hang of it, like once I'd got the hang of it, it was fine to do it. But like having not, that is why like we've been talking about doing a hacking episode for like forever and I keep putting it off because I know I have to go back, re reread it all. And then I need to go and look at some of these examples in the adventures because yeah. the, the core book, unfortunately, did not for me make a clear job. I was like, oh, I'm a bit, I'm a bit confused about how this is meant well, we'll to be do working. That. We will, we'll help people. We'll do a, a system spotlight on hacking yeah, before what, too long. What about Cywar? I did not read about that. How is Cywar different from Infowar? So Cywar's, it, it's, it's, it's kind of two parts to Cywar. One that is just easy and one that it makes it really complicated. One part is what they're trying to do is the idea, like if you're trying to, let's say you're trying to infiltrate a network of people, they give you like a, tr like a relationship tree of the different people. And it's kind of this idea where you're meant to talk to this guy at the top or bottom, how depending on how you want to think of it. And that will give you a connection to the next guy who will then give you a connection to the next guy. And eventually you'll get to the guy that you really want to talk to and that gets you information. And it starts off with that. And then it just goes into a bunch of stuff, which is basically kind of what you have in Conan for just talking to people where it's just sort of, you know, different ways of doing persuasion or intimidation or deceptions. And essentially it's just the social combat rules. So okay. Cywar is really just a fancy name for social combat. Um, and to be honest, when I did this, I mostly just went, actually, I'm going to ignore the sort of these, these relationship trees really were there for, to show you who knew who and where you might be able to get an in. But a lot of the time that didn't really match with how the adventures would work because like, you know, you could meet someone who was halfway down the tree without having met the other people. And then you just sure. have a conversation with the guy. Um, so the, the stuff in there on, which is essentially social combat is fine. I mean, you know, the way they put it in like sidewalk action, sidewalk techniques, sidewalk reactions. Okay. It's, it's just social combat. And again, yeah. social combat is a fancy thing for how you talk to NPCs in other games, you know, so maybe you meet some, you know, in some games, it'd just be a persuasion check in other games. You've got to, you know, like D and D maybe you have to take a guy from this particular sort of how much they like you level and move them down a few levels for them yeah. to give you. Yeah. This is, similar. I like, I like how I just oh and a quick reminder it's psi p s y as in like psychology not p s i like psionics. Yeah. When I heard it first, I thought it was psionics. Me too. And then I saw it and I thought, oh, that's not. Yeah. Um, one thing I want to point out before we 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 move forward, uh, and I had completely forgotten about this until I was rereading this just very recently. The different types of skill tests they offer some types of skill tests that I believe are unique to this system. That is, I don't remember seeing them elsewhere. I may have scanned over them, glazed over them in Mutant Chronicles. They have your typical, like your basic skill test, what they call, and complication range and gaining momentum. Like all that stuff is, is the same as in virtually all the, the 2D20 systems. And yet they have this other system, it's called a complex skill test. This is on page 20, not 30, of, page 30 of the, the PDF where a complex skill check is defined by the difficulty of the test, the total amount of momentum which must be spent in order to achieve success, and the maximum number of failures which can be suffered before the attempt fails. And then it goes on to not really explain a whole lot about like how do you come up with those numbers. But I thought that was that's a fascinating way to go about it. It's like an extended task, it, yeah, but, it, extended but it includes task. the... Um, it includes the number of, uh, of failures that you can achieve, which is something that's talked about in Octum Cthulhu. You know, they like that reverse yeah. um, task. 
Uh, they face-to-face test is just, you know, where you're, you're comparing momentum. Um, they call group tests. That's the assistance rules. Uh, a fail-safe test is a, is a, a what is it? Um, what's the word? What's the term that's called in all the other games? That's the one where you take a complication for a success. Um, yeah, I don't know so they it, offer up some different kinds. Fail, Say what? It's just choosing to fail. I don't know what if it's... Yeah, it's, that's, that's the, the failing forward. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it's interesting. They offer up some different... On pages 29 and 30... Or tw- 30 and 31 of the PDF, they offer up several different kinds of skill tests and then don't provide examples for any yeah. of them or explain them. I'm certain that they would more now. And I wonder if some in some of the... Um, campaign or adventure books, I wonder if where some of these different, if some of these different tests are called for, if there's, a, if there are examples or some guidance. I think the, the thing that it. made it not hard for me to run this game was because I think I've pretty much only played the pre-written adventures. Okay. And the pre-written adventures are always saying, you know, this, this is the difficult, you know, that you're doing this test of this deal kill, or you they like, you know, these complex skill tests, right? It's a complex skill test. Uh, that is diff- each one of those difficulty this, and if they cool. get to this many fails, they fail, and you need to generate 10 momentum. Um, and that's again, like, that's why the hacking wasn't hard because if you were doing your own, you have to come up with like a hacking little network which shows what the nodes are and how you get to the information you want to. Whereas in the pre written ones, well, that's done for you. It's there, which is terrific because then you 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 have your you know once you go through that or even just read through it, it sounds to me like you would then understand the system. Yeah, and that's what happened to me when I read the book by itself. I was like, I don't get this. Once I got the adventure book, which luckily I got the PDF for that. I mean, one of the very very first books that came out was was one of the adventure books. I think it was the Wilderness of Mirrors or something like that. Um, oh no, it was the one about the sort of journeys around the human sphere, where. You know, there's sort of a, a, one different adventure for each of the planets. So you kind of got a different kind of experience on each planet, but also each time you got a, a kind of a taste of this is what this planet is like. Um, and so you got to test like a load of the different rules and kind of see different things going on and meet different bad guys and stuff. Um, and by playing through that, it was always it, you know, the game ended up being really easy to run. So although the book isn't super friendly in that thing, um, you know, I would like totally get one of the adventures. I haven't read the the adventures that have come out since then partly because two of the really the big campaign books they promised were the ones that literally dropped dropped on me sort of last week yeah. um and so well, now you can i can a good look through speak speaking about adventures and adventure books and things like that you know we, we've we've talked about the setting we talked about the system what what kinds of stories do would you see or have you run in infinity so one of the things I like about this, although to be honest, you kind of need to go beyond the core book, but I'll tell you what, it, I'll come back to what the core book thing is after I go through the different options. So you could just be, you could be working for a particular faction doing stuff for them, which could be like, you know, espionage kind of things. You could do that. You could work for a faction. You could be mercenaries. There's actually a whole book called Mercenaries, mostly doing war stuff. You could play it like your classic cyberpunk thing where, you're a, you know, you're a group of shadow runners, net runners, whatever. No, they're not called net runners. That's a different thing. Who, you know, you meet, you meet Mr. Smith in the bar and Mr. Smith tells you, I want you to do this thing. And then, you know, never deal with a dragon. Um, sorry, the shadow run reference. Um, you know, but you get screwed over. By I the ignored pe- that. <laughs> you get screwed over by the person that you've been sent to do a mission for because it's all a double thing. So you could do that kind of campaign. Yeah. Um, the one it suggests you do is actually work for a group called uh, I think it's a group called O12. So O12 is kind of like the UN. 
Yeah. Um, they're about as useful as the UN. I mean, at the point this book came out, the O12 were not a playable faction. They were like these background people that didn't do anything, but normally like looked over the human sphere, but everyone just ignores them. Like yeah, the that UN. Sounds like the, do they waste lots of money? Uh, yeah, they probably, huge, they probably huge waste amounts of money. huge amounts of money. Okay, so all right, cool. At some cool. point they decided to actually go, right, the O12 are going to be a faction in the miniatures game. But they had this idea of, um, of infinity being, a, a code infinity is when something bad's happened. Um, and so the, the core thing it says in the book, I'm doing this from memory because I can't, I can't, it'll take me too long to find it in the book. Um, but the idea would be you work for this particular department of O12 who basically solves problems. So every yeah. time you would be sent on a mission by O12, and sometimes this would be going against a particular faction, sometimes it'd be investigating a faction, it could be just criminals, um, it could be going against mercenaries, it could be to do with these combined army. You're the Thunderbirds, yeah. basically. And you're, you're sent the Thunderbirds, into but you work for a functional, uh, yeah. not UN. So, but the thing that makes this cool, and this is the reason why Infinity is still, by an absolute mile, my favorite 2D20 thing, is they put in this idea of the wilderness of mirrors. Uh, and they, they, they put a few examples in the book, but it's not super. In all of the adventures, they have this. The idea is as well as your mission, each of your, you will have a sub mission for your faction. So if you're part of Pano, as well as doing the mission that O12 have said, go to this planet and do X, Y, and Z, your Pano handler or your Pano friend, whoever it is you're connected with in your Pano, because you were born in Pano or you work, you work for Pano, you will get a separate little sub mission from them. Um, and the same, if you have a criminal background, you'll get a mission from the criminal background. And there'll be one of these for like, so you'll have these 10 submissions for every single mission that they've written, which just makes it really cool. And I mean, I, again, this could be problematic if you had a big group. I only had two, but it would always happen at some point. I, I would print off these little slips of paper with these missions and give them to Scott and Brian. And at some point, and I'd forget what they were because I'd give them and I just forget. And there'd be this thing, you know, Scott, they'd be in like, they're going through some base and Scott would be like, I'm just going to check this room. And Brian's going, why are you checking this room? No reason. Because they would have the, they didn't know what their submissions were. And that, you know, they didn't even know if they, I mean, mostly they'd be really innocuous, you know, make sure such and such guy doesn't talk, make sure you get this piece of information, get a copy of this prototype. So there'd be things that'd be like little, you know, sell, relatively easy things you could do. And, you know, you could put those into your own games really easily as well. But it always made it that that little bit of distrust um, in every single time we played it, that the two of them were always kind of like, what's the other person doing? And up until the last session, it never put them in conflict. There was always kind of things they were like, I mean, there were occasionally times where one of them had to make sure a person survived and the other one had to make sure someone died. So then they would, you know, oh, there'd be an accident. Oh, is, oh I was just looking after him and he died. So sorry. That kind of stuff. Um, it all came to head in our, our last one we actually did where, there was a terrorist who was going to blow up something and one of them was meant to make sure this bomb went off and the other one wasn't. And then pretty much that meant that was the only time it led, led to full-on conflict between... They actually stopped the guy who was going to set the bomb off. They stopped the terrorist, but then it came down to one of them wanted it still to go off and the other one didn't. So then it came up to just a straight-up fight between them, um, which I think resulted in the bomb going off, but while they were still there, so they both died. Uh, and that's where we stopped the campaign. But the reality was I could have carried on because they would have both been backed up before that had happened. Um, and that's why it, I really it, liked it. I, that's a that's a, a neat way through something more mechanical, like more concrete and defined to drive some of the, the that, that setting vibe of, you know, a player versus player or character versus character rather, uh, like cyberpunk intrigue. And that factional intrigue, yeah, um, 
That's neat. I didn't know that. I mean, that that was the thing that when I'd read it, I was like, oh, I absolutely love this. And they literally put it in there as the idea of like the wilderness of mirrors. Um, and in all of the adventures I've played, it's, it's had one of those. I and mean, there's actually quite a lot of, you know, there's, 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 only, I mean, there's two pages on it. So it's not a huge amount, but it does give you an idea. Of, like these are the kind of things you can throw into, you know, these, these, extra, these extra ideas that are going on, these covert objectives. Um, and generally they were, they were always like little things. They were never used, but with the exception of the one, the, the reason we finished with that one, because nominally they were both dead, um, was because everything up to that, they, they were like relatively innocuous little things to just do something extra, but it always meant that they were, they were looking for a bit more. They were not just doing the one thing that they'd been told they've got to do. They were always looking at, and because I only had two players, what I always did is gave them two. So they both had like a, the faction, like their Pano or. I think one of one of them, I can't, I can't remember what factions there were, but whatever the two facts were, but then one of them also had a criminal background and one of them had a corporate background. So they both, I would always give them two objectives to do, um, which just, it, you know, it just, it just made it more different. I've not played another game like it where there was that extra little bit of, you know, niggle between them maybe. And they, they, they were always working together because they always had the main objective. And, you know, O twelve 12 were pay, paying the big bucks. So they had to do the main objective. They weren't going to like deliberately try and fail the main mission. But these submissions would always, you know, just, just a, bit of, a bit of extra little interest. And sometimes they didn't achieve them. Sometimes they just forgot about them. But that was always going on in the background. And that was the thing for me playing Infinity that always made, that took my Infinity games to like, I was a fond memory. I mean, I wrote up all of my 2D20 Infinity games. So actually, if you're interested in what does Infinity look like, you can go to the go to my that 70s game website and look for the 2D20 Infinity. I wrote up all my campaign sessions because because I just had a lot of fun playing them and the cool stuff they were doing and things. It was you know what I'll good. do. I'll put a link to those uh, here and we'll dump that in the the Discord too, so people can can get to it. Yeah, I I look at this and I I am not at all familiar with the um the miniatures game the reason why i bought the pdf originally a few years ago i think i mentioned this to you once but the reason why i bought it was because i was looking for a sci-fi rule set to either come sit behind a homebrew universe setting whatever uh i think that's what i was thinking at the time but this was way more the cyberpunk and transhuman is is so forward in the setting and so forward in the mechanics that I it, it didn't fit what I uh, what I was looking for. But the great thing about Infinity is that I can see like all those cyberpunk style uh, like corporate intrigue and and that kind of those kinds of stories. All of those are are possible in this with the added. Uh, bonus of being able to go to other planets you you extend like if you're doing some kind of a heist or something like that or like you know running from one corporate overlord or something like or factional leader to another like you add the additional layer of more planets um you add the additional layer of um aliens yeah uh good and and you know good bad whatever and uh and so i like that and i i like the the options like i said any of those you could do some science fiction style, like planetary exploration. You can fight the aliens. Um, there are a lot of options where things that I don't think would take a constant stretch. In other words, player or GM wouldn't have to keep reminding themselves, okay, what's this setting like? What's, I think it, people would be able to yeah. comfortably drop into this, but also play it in a way that feels like the way Infinity is supposed to feel. 
I literally, I got into the infinity set and from the art, I was looking for art for something at some oh. point and saw some pictures, which then that took me into the sort of seeing some stuff for the miniatures game. I have some stuff for the miniatures game, but I've never really played like, I've, you know, I've sort of tinkered with it, but it's mostly because like the models looked cool because the art looked cool. Then, I mean, that's how I partly, I got into 2D20. When then I saw that Infinity was getting a role-playing game, I was like, brilliant. That means even more art. Um, and so then like, you know, I, I, I just like kickstarted the whole thing. So I have, that's why I have all of the books because I literally did the, like the book subscription thing and just got every single book. Um, okay, it's taken sort of seven years for them all to turn up. <laughs> Yeah. at least i have them now um but you know that was how i got into it it was, it was through so literally through the art and then reading some stuff i mean like one of the first books i ever bought was an infinity art book it was literally just art from the games put mm. into one big book because that was how but that's you know it. for any setting um i think those kinds of art is so important mm. it's so important to communicate the feel like what's different about this there definitely is an anime kind of feel to it and i i'm not an anime fan um nor like a current anime style video game fan. That's just, that's never been my thing, but I, I'm at least familiar with the art styles and it definitely has a, a like a pretty significant like anime vibe to the way, I mean, there aren't, there aren't like girls in sailor dresses. I mean, the, the, like if, the, if you the look mechs, at some of the art that, that, all, that a lot of their initial art was very cheesecakey and they have over time moved, moved away from that. Um, and they've, they've kind of moved away from the anime art as much as the, like the original, some of the initial stuff was just straight up anime and they've sort of, well, manga, but you know, they've slowly moved away from that a bit. Um, I mean, I think actually one of the problems I have with the, the more recent books is I kind of, I've only glanced through them obviously. Um, but there's a lot less art. There's quite a lot of art in the core book. And I think as okay. they went into the other books, they kind of, they sort of had this problem, like we need to get these books out, but if we pay for loads of art to them, it's going to, you know, cost us a fortune, but people expect Although I think, you know, art art's like establishing scenes in movies yeah once the the sense of like what does a city look like on this planet and what does what is like powered armor look like what do the weapons look like once that's established i think it's it's pretty easy to uh to move forward i, th I think feel like you're an informed player yeah and, I, there's, a, there's enough in the core book to be able to understand what things look like and how things look different between the different factions i think where it gets awkward is in some of the other books where you sort of have you have specialist units and there's no pictures for them so you literally would have to go and look it up yourself and then right. you get a miniature because actually there is no picture for them anyway there's just the minute i mean some of the some of the books i was looking for the other day did have pictures of the miniatures in the books you think, well, you know, this isn't a miniature game, so I don't really expect to see miniatures in my in my role playing game. But you know, if there's no art exists, a picture of a miniature is better than essentially better than nothing. So, yeah, um, yeah. So I I will give. Uh, I have not played it. I have no idea if I will ever get the chance to, or rather, it, not chance to. It's not like it's a coin flip. Whether I will make the time to do so, because unfortunately, there are so many other good games. Uh, that I want to play and and so many ones that I want to sink some time into and not do like this, you know, two, three sessions of this, two, three sessions of that. You never really get deeply into the characters, but um, but I would definitely play this. Now, revisiting it for the purpose of of talking about it, um, there's a lot more in it that I like that uh, than I um than I had remembered. And the other thing too, and this is this is my last comment on it, is that I am reminded that the the crunchier, the now non-mainstream 2D20 system version, the crunchier version of it, there's a lot to like about it. I think that, you know, the, the, the Conan version with the dice 
you know, instead of five being nothing and in effect giving you nothing. Like I like the current, the current um, challenge dice mechanic is, is the best one, but, um, but the crunchier version with the talent trees and more skills and more stats. um, I think that there are probably a lot of players out there who dig that as their norm, but also just as a palate cleanser, like doing something that's pulpier and more narrative is fun for a while. And then, you know, doing something different. So if you're if you like the core mechanic, you should you should take a look at this one for sure. Yeah, I think definitely if you're if you're looking at kind of this kind of sci-fi, so I'm more cyberpunk, you're transhuman sci-fi, and you're thinking of doing your own cyberpunk version of the SRD, this would be a good place to look to get more totally. ideas. Um, Don't reinvent I mean, the wheel. I I actually at some point as well as playing it, I did a I did a hack of this for Eclipse phase, which I did I basically just took some ideas from Eclipse phase and then I just ran with this. I just I just used the infinity rules straight up, but in a different setting. Um, and I had some more of them. I think they call them morphs in Eclipse Face, the different bodies you can jump into. Um, and it was super easy to run. I ran it with like very, very little. And I literally took an Eclipse Phase book, uh, no, sorry, Eclipse Phase Adventure and just ran that because the original Eclipse Phase uh, system was just awful and has like terrible character creation. Yeah, um, I, I played it once and and the multiple, di- I, I don't want to talk about it. Yeah. That's a, that's a, and I, that's I a horrible ha- memory. I have second edition, but I don't have to do that. But it was, a, I loved the setting. I thought it was a really cool setting. Um, so I just, I just took Infinity and just played, just played yep. the Philips phase. Um, and it, and it worked fine because it was, you know, there was a lot of overlap. So it was, so it was cool. So yeah, I, I, I do like, I, mean, I just like everything about this. I like the setting. I like the system. Um, I like the cool way they do the stories in, in the adventures. Um, which is why it's like still my favorite, even if everybody else has forgotten it and moved on. <laughs> well, maybe they won't now. Maybe maybe in our small corner of the gaming world, which is in a small corner of the gaming world called 2D20 fans, maybe we'll re- reignite some interest in this. Yeah, I was I was hoping this is what we were going to play next, but the guys went for Conan instead. I was like, I would have well, you this. know what though, Conan can be system wise. The the transition back to this because yeah. you go, hey, let's play Infinity again. It's just you know. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. All right. Very good. There you go. Thank you so much for listening. You can visit our show's homepage at anchor.fm slash fluff and crunch. That's F-L-U-F-F-N-C-R-U-N-C-H. We would really appreciate feedback and reviews on whatever podcasting platform you're listening to this on. Thanks so much.